pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for our time of worship that we've enjoyed this morning. And God, as we, uh, as we look into your word now, as we try to see what you have to say to our hearts and our minds through the spoken word, the written word, God, open us up. May we listen. May we uh, have receptive hearts. And God, whatever it is today that you would have us to do, give us the courage and the strength to do it. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Let's give the band a hand for a great job. How many of you have someone in your life that can look at you in a certain way and you know you better straighten up? Every married man has that. It's called a wife. Young people, can your parents look at you in some way that gets your attention? Sure. I would bet that's right. You've had a teacher or a coach who could turn an eyebrow or their head or the way they looked at you. You knew you were in trouble if you didn't straighten up. But also, a lot of those same people can look at you in a certain way and affirm you. They can look at you and wink or smile or nod their head. And by doing that, you know that everything's going to be okay, or that you've done a good job, or regardless of what happens, everything's going to be good. Well, this morning in 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to look at getting God's nod of approval. 2 Timothy was written by God through Paul. And the neat thing about it, if you were here last week, just a quick review if you weren't, this is Paul's last letter. Out of the 13 books in the New Testament that bear his name, this was his very last. And, and I believe he knew it was his last. He was in prison for the second time. It was an infamous prison called the Mamertine Prison in Rome. He is chained to a guard 24-7. He is uh, awaiting to go before trial before Nero, who is a really bad, uh, creepy emperor. And I think he knew that the time was uh, fixing to, to come for him. And so he writes his last letter to Timothy, who is the pastor in Ephesus. And one of the things that he says to him here is some things that Timothy needed to do to know that God approved of how he was doing life. And listen, I want to tell you this morning, every person in here, we need the, the nod of approval from God. And this is not subjective. It's not a matter of how you feel or don't feel. We're going to look at some real objective things today. And, and someday, everyone in here, we're going to stand before the throne of God. We're going to give an account of ourselves. And we want to know that when God looks at us on that day, that we will get the nod of approval. Now, I don't think our screens are working, so you're going to have to just trust me to say things semi-right today. But here's the first big thought this morning. Man, we need to strive to get God's approval. We need to strive to get the nod of approval from God. Now, when I say that, listen, God loves you unconditionally. I'm talking about for your life and my life to honor Him in such a way that God is proud of us. In verse 15 of chapter 2, it says, do your best He's saying, strive at something. Hey, here we go. We're on the screens. Do your best. Strive. Be eager after this to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles 
the word of truth. Timothy's a pastor. Timothy's a Christian. He says, Timothy, what I want you to do is, as a minister, but more importantly as a person, I want you to strive to earn my approval. You don't have to earn his love. Salvation's a gift of God by grace through faith. But God says how you live your life, what you do with your life, absolutely, you need to strive to get my approval. I want to share with you four things today this passage lays out that God's judging us by, that God's looking at your life and at my life by this morning. Here's the first thing that he tells us if we want God's approval. Do life with excellence. Do life with excellence. That's not just a good motivational topic. That's the truth. Again, in verse 15, do your best. Strive, be eager after to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. That word or phrase, correctly handles, literally means to to rightly divide something. It means to cut something or divide it straightly. Now, certainly he's telling Timothy as a pastor, he's telling pastors and Bible teachers, I want you to correctly handle the Word of God. I want you to preach it and teach it correctly and accurately. He's saying, Timothy, if you want my nod of approval, the way you do your business and the way you do your job that I've called you to do, Timothy, do it well. But I want to tell you the application of this is far broader than just being a preacher. When he said to handle correctly, it literally means for the farmer to plow a straight row. Paul was what we would say a bivocational missionary. He, He preached and taught, but he also worked on the side. He was a tent maker. And Paul would have had to uh, uh, cut, cut rough camel hair to make tents out of. And he knew what it was like to cut a straight line and the importance of doing it and doing it well. Guys, I want to tell you this morning, whether you're a preacher, you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you're a student, a coach, a teacher, whatever it is you do, a businessman, a businesswoman, a doctor, lawyer, or Indian chief, did I cover everybody this morning? Do what God has called you to do, and you do it well. You go, I hate what I do. I hate where I am. Start working to get another job, but the best way to get another job is to hit a home run right where you are today. Colossians 3.23, I don't know if we're going to have it on the screen, but I'm going to paraphrase it. We do have it on the screen. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. As working for the Lord, not for men. You know what God's saying there? God's saying, God's not saying, listen, when you're, you men, when you go home today and you play checkers or whatever video game with your kids, that you just, you've got to destroy them, you've got to beat them because you've got to win, you've got to win. God. That's not what he's saying. And I've literally known goofballs who have taken it to that level. But what God is saying is saying, whatever you find yourself involved in, do your very best. Do your best. Be excellent in what you do. John Maxwell's a great writer and a leadership expert. John Maxwell defines excellence in a great way. He says, excellence is not perfection. See, many of us today, we're shooting for perfection. And all that does is make you nervous and frustrated. Because you know what? There's nobody perfect. 
You're not going to find the perfect person, and you're not the perfect person. But excellence is way above average, is how Maxwell defines it. To be excellent is to say, I'm not satisfied with being okay. I'm not satisfied with being decent. I'm going to shoot in my life to be excellent. I'm going to do what I do and what God's called me to do wherever I am. I'm going to do it with all my heart, and I'm going to do it with excellence. Folks, I want to tell you, excellence honors God. Sloppiness does not. Again, you say, well, I hate what I do. I'm not in my calling or my gifting. Go find another job. Go back to school. Do whatever you have to do. But don't excuse your sloppiness because you've made a mistake in your life. Correct that mistake. I read a great story this week. A lady, a man, excuse me, was on the, one of the boardwalks on the East Coast. You know, most of the redneck beaches in the South, we don't really have boardwalks. But they have them up north that, that, that kind of go along the ocean. And then, you know, we have some that go out in the ocean too. But this man is sitting on the boardwalk. He's soak, soaking up the sun. He's enjoying it. And he sees a lady. She's in a green dress. with got her name on it. She, she's sweeping the boardwalk. So... He assumes correctly she works for whoever manages or owns the boardwalk. But he watches her, and he notices she's meticulous. I mean, she is doing a great job. And so finally he just says, ma'am, i got to tell you, you are doing a great job of sweeping that boardwalk. And she said, well, thank you so much, sir. She said, you know, this is my job, and I think everything you do, you ought to do your very best. And besides, people deserve to walk on a clean boardwalk. Now, how many of you would like that lady cleaning your house or your boardwalk? What a great, I don't know if she's a Christian or not, but what a great witness that is for Jesus Christ. Guys, let me tell you someday, when you stand before God, God is not going to ask you your job title. That's not going to interest him or impress him. God's going to ask you and me how well we did with the job title that we had. you get that? Oh, God doesn't pay attention to this or that. Wrong song, Leroy Brown. Yes, he does. <laughs> you, wanna, you want the nod of approval from God? You do. I promise you, you do. Do life with excellence. Here's the second thing that he says here. To get God's approval, live out the faith. Live out your faith. Now, that ought to be a little, sound a little redundant because every sermon's about living out your faith. But in verse 15, I want to give you another understanding of this verse. He says, do your best. Strive to present yourself to God as one approved, the one, not about salvation, but about the way you have lived and done life. A workman who does not need to be ashamed. Don't you, you want to stand before God and be ashamed? Here's the scary thing, too. You don't know when you'll stand before God. You know, if I knew I was going to stand before God 30 years from today, I'd be ready, correct? I may stand before God tomorrow. Kind of an eerie thought, isn't it? Correct. Timothy, you do life. So when you stand before God, and even today, that you, you will be one approved, one who handles 
the Word of God who handles the truth correctly. Now, I just mentioned that this is talking about handling the Word correctly. This is talking about a, a preacher or a Bible teacher rightly dividing and preaching and explaining Scripture. Charles Swindoll, who's a great writer and preacher, gives a, an, another understanding of, of handling the truth correctly. He says it's not only dividing it or explaining it properly, but that it meant to live it out practically. That when you, when you take in the Word of God and that you handle the Word of God correctly, Swindoll says that one application of this that's often missed, that it, it means that the, the teacher practices what he preaches. Isn't that a rare idea? Paul was a Jewish rabbi before he was a Christian, highly trained. And Jewish rabbis believed this, that knowledge without practical application was, was useless. You know what? Bingo, right on target. Paul, was, Paul and Timothy were preaching into a world where a, a heresy, false teaching called Gnosticism, was beginning to develop. Gnosticism means knowledge. Gnosis means knowledge. And, and people were really getting into learning the fad, latest fads and, and theories and all this. And in the middle of that, I certainly believe one of the things God said to Timothy that he says to you and me this morning, if you want my nod of approval, don't just get it here get it here and let it come out here. Doesn't that make sense? You see, God's not interested in how well you and I argue the Bible. Boy, I showed them. I got, boy, I put it on them. My Sunday school teacher, whoo, I embarrass them in front of everybody. Aren't you great? God's interested in what we do with what he says. Years ago, I met a, a preacher in another town. He was a little older guy, and he was in a different denomination, and we began to talk, and I, I told him one of my favorite authors at the time, 25 years ago, was uh, a member of his denomination, and I asked him if he knew this guy, and he kind of ducked his head, and he shook his head. He said, yes, and I said, I mean, is he like your uncle who never talks to you? I mean, did I, what did I say that just disturbed you? And he said, you know, the guy's a great writer. I just wish he practiced what he preached. Wow. How do you get the nod of God? How do we get it today? How will we get it someday when we stand before the throne of God? You live out what you take in. We live in a day and age today, and, and, and this, a lot of this is good with the internet, with the, the, your phone. I mean, you can listen to 80 sermons a week from all over the world. You can read 90 books a week, and, and all that's great, but I'm afraid we're chasing after knowledge, and we're not chasing after God anymore. We're chasing after knowledge, not at what, what do we do with what we get. Please hear this. Someday when you and I stand before God, he is not going to hand, this is good news for you in school, he is not going to hand you a piece of paper and say, Curtis, you've got an hour to fill in the blanks. We're going to find out really what you knew about the Bible. Isn't it good news that's not going to happen? Okay, I hope it happens to all of y'all, but it isn't to me. How many of you have ever had a formal oral exam? And I'm not talking about at the dentist. I'm talking about academically. 
Those are terrible, aren't they? They will have those continually in hell, I'm convinced. God's not going to give you an oral exam. Sit down and tell me everything you know about the book of Jonah. Not going to do it. What God's going to do is he's going to sit down with you and me. He's going to put in a video and say, let's watch your life. <laughs> Woo, that's not as good, is it? God, can we fast forward there? No, no, no. God, do all these other people have to be watching too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see, we get the nod of God in our lives for how we live out the faith. I challenge you this morning, let's live it out. That's how we earn God's approval. Here's the third thing he says, and and this is worse than what I've just talked about. Guard your mouth closely. None of you need to hear this, but you know someone who does. So write it down so you can share that this with them this week. Guard your mouth closely. Why do you think God hid your tongue behind a row of sharp objects? (laughs) Probably to try to keep it a little bit contained. Let me tell you two things he tells us about our tongue. Your tongue or my tongue? Now, he's all negative today about the tongue in in this scripture, But, but your mouth, your words, it can move us away from God. The way you speak, the way I speak can move us away from God. In verse 14, keep reminding them of these things. In other words, you don't tell people the Word of God one time and everything's good. It's over and over. Warn them before God. Isn't that powerful? Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value. It only ruins those who listen. In this day and age, the philosophers, the Greek philosophers, they love to debate. Gnosticism's coming on the scene. They love to argue. They love to to put another person in their place. He's saying, oh, no, no, that's bad. That's not good. Verse 16, avoid godless chatter. Avoid, stay away from it. Be aloof to it because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly themselves. Godless chatter, what is that? Godless chatter, it certainly can be vulgar talk. It, it literally means unholy talk or ungodly talk. It's fruitless talk. It's slander. It's gossip. It's pointless arguing. It's being negative. Avoid it is what he says. Because here's what happened. Look, you will become more ungodly. That word ungodly is a bad, bad word. It means a lack of reverence for God. You ever thought about this? When you and I participate in gossip and slander, and, and, and listen, don't Christianize your gossip and slander by saying at the front of it, well, I love them. Or Wayne, he sure is goofy. God bless him. That makes it okay, doesn't it? You're not goofy, Wayne. Those who indulge in it become more and more ungodly. The word ungodly literally means a lack of reverence for God, which leads to a lack of godliness towards everybody and anything in your life. Have you ever thought about this? Your mouth, my mouth, our speech is either moving us closer to the throne of God or away from the throne of God. And again, don't Christianize it. Don't get together and everybody in there is a Christian. You're just drinking Pepsi, so it's okay. You don't get the nod of God when you use your mouth to hurt people 
and to do ugly things and to say wrong things. Here's the second thing he says. Not only does it move us away from God, our mouths can move others away from God. Now, see, this is really getting bad here. Again, in verse 14, keep reminding them, warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value. And look, it ruins those who listen. Look in verse 17 and 18. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. That's, isn't that a pretty picture? Among them are Hymenaeus and Philitus who have wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. Hymenaeus was probably a guy mentioned earlier in 1 Timothy. Philitus, we know one thing about in the Bible that he was creepy. Isn't that a bad way to be remembered? What did it mean when they were teaching the resurrection had already taken place? One of three things. They were possibly saying that, that at the second coming, when Christians will arise and meet God in the air and the, the soul and the body, which is hard to grasp, will meet and be resurrected, that's already taken place. See, if that's happened, you and I are in a world of trouble, correct? Because that means the second coming was 2,000 years ago. So I don't know what we're doing here, but it's not good. That's not true. Or they were saying, well, there's not a bodily resurrection someday, that, that there's a spiritual resurrection, that when you became a Christian, you were resurrected. And, or when your kids are born, there's a resurrection of you. And, and the Greek word for all that's baloney. It's not true. And he's saying that this teaching was spreading like gangrene, this bad words. Now, is he talking about, is he talking about preachers there? Yeah, sure, teachers. But Hymenaeus and Philitus, they weren't the pastor of this church. They were the, they might have been the people we think of as teaching Bible studies. They were probably the kind that got a Bible study in their house with a special group to begin teaching things that they just weren't getting anywhere else and they were destroying people. But I want to tell you, this just doesn't have to be formal teaching. This can be hallway talk. And, and you know what hallway talk is, don't you? <laughs> and see, here's what God's saying. Not only do argumentative, negative, critical people hurt themselves, they hurt others. Gangrene poisons the system. In Paul's day, it was fatal unless you got the axe out quick and chopped off whatever was infected. Our day, we can treat it with, with different antibiotics and different things, but gangrene's a bad thing. It's so bad that if it was spreading up your arm, you're probably coming home with a hook. You get the picture? Pirate, hook, you get the picture? Because you've got to remove, you've got to remove the part that's infected. Let me give you two examples how, how this kind of thing happens. Years ago, I was in pastoring in Texas, and one of my men and I went to, uh, we went to go see a person who was a member of our church to invite him to church. Now, think about that. Isn't there some irony there? <laughs> Laugh with me. You're a member. Why do we have to invite you? You're always invited. But we did. We went to go see him because he hadn't been in church in years. And he was, he was a very nice guy. He was, he was probably in his late 50s at this time. Here's what he said. 
He said, here's why I don't go to church. He said, when I got married, I loved my wife. Her parents were leaders in this church. Dad was a deacon. They were Sunday school teachers. They were, you know, Mr. and Miss Committee. They were involved, involved, involved. So every Sunday after church, we would go eat with them. We'd have fried chicken or fried turkey, fried pork chops. Then we would have fried preacher, fried music minister, fried Sunday school teacher, fried teachers and coaches around town. And he said, you know, after about a year of this, I just realized if everybody in the church was so dumb and so bad, why would I want to go? And in my whole time there, he never did. Gangrene. See, here's how gangrene works in the spiritual sense. His kids didn't go to church either. And his grandkids, great-grandkids to the ones who were spreading the stuff to begin with, didn't go to church. So you, you want to guarantee you can really mess your family up? Just talk about everybody. Just criticize everybody. Tell them how dumb their coach is. Tell them how dumb the doctors are. Tell them how, how dumb their Sunday school teacher is. Talk about the business you go to. They're incompetent. The ministers are incompetent. And you know what? You're gangrening your family. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That's, that's the truth. Justin and I were having lunch with a guy this week. told us a story. Not people in Ruston, people he had known years ago. About nine or ten couples. Good Christian people. And all of a sudden, couple after couple after couple started getting divorced. And he said, I finally put my finger on what was going on. One or two people, one man, one woman, whatever, got unhappy and they started calling each other. Now, you need people to talk to. You need people to dump on for sure. But he said, you know what, I, don't, I think it went beyond counseling to, went to, to sharing how bad each other's spouses were. And then they began to, to, to sympathize with one another. Oh, God wants you to be happy, so once you leave your spouse, yada, yada, yada. Oh, God will be graceful, go ahead and do it, yada, yada, yada. And he said, before, oh, within a year or two, you had many of these couples left each other. And he was convinced it spread like gangrene. Nobody in this room believes that God approves of that. None of us, I really, but none of us in this room believe someday when we stand before God, he will look at us and go, hey, you destroyed your city. Come on in. It's not the way it works. You want to get God's approval? Use your mouth to bring life, not to bring death. Not to spread gangrene, but to spread... To, to spread health and blessing, okay? Here's the last thing he says today. You want God's nod of approval? Man, make yourself usable. Strive to be usable by God. I, I want to tell you some great, you know, I've been, this has been tough up to this point. Hopefully this will be nice and sweet. Did you know God wants to use you in great ways? Verse 20 and 21 In a large house, there are articles, not only of gold and silver, but of wood and clay. They they put their flour and stuff in the wood. Some are for noble purpose, some are for ignoble. If a man or woman cleanses themselves for the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes made holy and useful to the master and prepared to do any 
good work. Now, he's, ta- he's given a picture of a palace here. Because most of the people in this day and age were peasants. They didn't have much. And, but, but in our, our day and age, you're going to understand this. He's talking about we have things in our house that we use for different levels, correct? Okay, I want to show you. In, in my house, this is fine china. Kyle, can you zoom in on it? This is called blue willow. This may be spit cups in your house, but in our house, this is fine china. Fine china. We get this out only when people like Josh come over, okay? Okay? Fine china. This, on the other hand, is everyday plate. You notice it's big. <laughs> You know, it has these little tamales on there. I think I can see some Pop-Tart stain there. You know, this is, for, this is for eating. That stuff is for sissies. This is what men do when they want to eat. Y'all have that, don't you? you? You have that. Let me show you. Before I got married, I had a different kind of, which some of you probably have this today too, a different kind of fine china. I had the, the heavyweight paper plate. You know, it's heavy. It's, you know, sometimes you can even get it with the blue, the rim, you know, the, the pretty decorations around it. This is the good stuff. This was, this cheap stuff. You know, just when the guys come over, you eat on. And so you, you understand, y'all aren't laughing, but it is funny, I thought. But, okay. You understand the china and the paper plate, right? The good stuff, okay? <laughs> Did you see that verse? Kyle, put verse 20 back up there again. He says, some are for noble, some are for ignoble purposes. Are, what does that mean? What, what does that mean when he says that? Uh, he's talking about the fine stuff, and he's talking about stuff that's used, but that may not be used for the best things. Do any of y'all know what a chamber pot is? Chamber pot? You're fixing to find out. A chamber pot was what great-grandma used when she didn't want to go out to the outhouse late at night. Okay, you follow me? Now, this is what it's talking about here. I'm not trying to make something crude. If it's 20 degrees outside, how many of you want to go to the outhouse at 2 in the morning? If it's 90 degrees and there's copperheads near the outhouse, how many of you want to go out there in the dark? No, no, none of you do. So your chamber pot was, was your restroom, indoor restroom. So that, that's, he's talking about some things were for special purposes. Some things were for purposes, not real great purposes necessarily. Here's what he says. God says, listen, I want to use you for great things. Go to verse 21, Kyle. I want to use you for great causes. I want you to be an instrument for special purposes. In other words, God's saying, I want to use you in your life in valuable ways. But you've got to make a choice to clean yourself up and get usable. Is that not exciting? God saves us by grace through faith. But he says, if you want to be used, you've got to decide to control your mouth. You've got to decide to get rid of bitterness Junk in your life, junk in your heart. You can be a chamber pot. You can be a paper plate. Or you can say, God, I'm going to do everything I can to put myself in a position for you to use me in noble and exciting ways. And he throws it at you and he says, the choice is completely yours. I want to ask you this morning, what choices will we make today? Let's pray.
Christians, first of all, let's talk about that. What choices are we going to make in the next few minutes? It's up to you. You're not a Christian. You're not sure right where you are. Will you pray with me and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And God, I want to repent of my sins. I believe you're the Son of God, Jesus, who died and arose for me. Come into my heart now, Jesus, and save me this morning. Let me have your attention just for a moment. Just a second, I'm going to invite you to stand. Maybe you just prayed and asked Christ in your heart, or maybe you're ready to do that. Would you step out today and come and let one of our ministers help you with that decision? Maybe you'd like to join the church. One way you can do that this morning is by coming when we give the invitation. We'll help you do that right down here. Christian, maybe you want to come to the altar and pray or pray with a minister. Maybe it's where you're standing or at the altar. You need to say to God, God, I want to be and do the things so I can get your nod of approval. Choice is ours. Let's stand as God leads you. Respond to him now.